Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and I just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Hey, good morning. It's so good to see you. I can not. There you are. Good to see you guys. Happy Mother's Day. We just want to say uh, how excited we are to have you worship with us and be a part of our worship celebration for Mother's Day. And uh, if you're a guest of ours this morning, we want to welcome you especially. I know some of you are here with your moms. You may not go to church here with us, uh, but you're here with your mom today. And so we're excited that you've chosen to be here and honor her and, uh, and celebrate and worship with us. And so we're grateful for that. If you are a guest, uh, you should have been handed a card when you came in. And on the bottom of that card, there's a, a thing called a connection card. It's a perforated tab. You can tear that off. And we'd love for you to fill that out during the service this morning sometime. And, uh, and just let us know about your, uh, your being here today so that we can follow up with you later this week. Uh, at the end of the service, if you'll bring that card outside these doors, I'll be at a table out there and uh, you can hand me that. I've got a free gift that I would love to give to you just to say thanks for being here this morning. So thank you for being our guest. And uh, man, we're excited to get to worship together today for another reason that's really cool. Uh, I, if you follow us on Facebook, you may have seen uh, my post earlier this this week uh, that we've got something that we are doing today in our building that we've never done before. And uh, I asked people to guess and maybe see if they could figure out what it was, and nobody did. I guess they were kind of scared to take that step. But uh, here's what we're going to do today uh, that's never been done here in our building. We've always done this off campus, but we're going to celebrate baptism here today. And uh, we're going to get to see three people in this service baptized. We had two people in our first service that trusted Jesus and, and followed up with baptism today. And so, uh, so we are so excited that we're going to get to do that. It's going to be a great time and celebration. Uh, well, if you have your Bible this morning and want to follow along with us and celebrate God's truth, turn to Genesis chapter 43, and we're going to celebrate God's Word together. We believe that God's Word is powerful and true and gives direction for our lives, and so we love to celebrate that truth. And so uh, this is the final message in the series that we've been studying on the life of Joseph called Living Between Dreams and Reality. And the truth is, is that sometimes we have these dreams that are out there for our life, things that, that we hope for, aspire to, and yet the truth is reality sometimes becomes the bigger thing that kind of kills our dreams, and we don't know how to live in those moments. And so we've been walking with Joseph in this series, who literally, Joseph is a guy that has incredible dreams. God gives him dreams, dreams of people bowing down to him, dreams of people who will, will worship him in a sense. And yet then his brothers, who are these just despicable guys, they hate Joseph. Joseph is the youngest brother in their family. And these 10 older brothers, they hate Joseph. And so they, they just decide one day, hey, you know what? Instead of, uh, of just keeping him around, let's kill him. Anybody had that happen in your family? I hope not. Like that would be a terrible way to be going through life, to be like, yeah, my older brothers always wanted to just get rid of me. Maybe they did and you didn't know about it, but these guys actually started acting on this plan. Joseph's dreams are, there are going to be people who bow down to me, my brothers, my parents, my family is going to bow down to me, but then his brothers, they throw him into a well. They say, we're going to kill him. Then one of them steps up and says, no, you know what, let's don't kill him. We don't benefit from that. Judah says, hey, let's don't kill him, let's sell him. We, we'll at least make some money off of him. 
So they sell him into slavery in Egypt, and Joseph goes to Egypt as a slave. And while he's there, God shows him his favor as time passes. If you don't know the story, go back and read it in the, the late chapters of Genesis. But God shows favor to Joseph to the point that because Joseph can interpret dreams, it gets Joseph an audience with the Pharaoh. See, Pharaoh had this dream that he couldn't understand, and Joseph was brought in and said, hey, this, this Hebrew guy who's a slave and a, a prisoner in your prison, he can explain your dreams. So Pharaoh tells him the dreams, and Joseph says, here's what it means. There's going to be seven years of incredible abundance and fruitfulness in the land of Egypt, but on the backside of that, there's going to be seven years of absolute plague and famine. And then Joseph does something that Pharaoh didn't ask for. He just goes, hey, if I were in your shoes, Pharaoh, here's what I would do. I would collect food over these seven good years and store it up so when the seven bad years comes, you can sell it back and the people will be fed and you'll make profit. And so Pharaoh goes, wow, nobody is as wise as this guy. He has the spirit of God on his life. Joseph, I'm going to put you in charge of all of those operations. I'm going to put you in charge of Egypt. And so he's now in charge and he may have a job that kind of seems like you moms out there. We love that video and just going, it is a nonstop, all the time, 24 hours a day job. Joseph for seven years works and works and works and works so that when the seven years of, of uh, famine and plague come, he can help the nation. Now here's where the story kind of becomes interesting. Because Joseph's brothers, who had also been in impacted by this famine, not only was Egypt impacted by it, but the land of Canaan was as well. And so his dad had sent his brothers to Egypt to buy food. He says, go to Egypt and buy grain. And so as they do that, they come in front of Joseph and they don't know it's him. They think he's gone. They think he's dead. But they bow down to him. And Joseph's mind goes back to those dreams of his childhood when his brothers would bow down. And so now as we get to this place in the story that he wants to test his brothers... See, the reality is, is for him, he wants to know, hey, can I trust these guys? They've just come back into my life. God's brought these men back into my life. And the last thing I knew of them was that they hated me so much they wanted to kill me. They sold me as a slave into a foreign nation. So all I know about these guys is they're despicable. So Joseph wants to find out if he can trust them. He starts putting them through some tests, just character tests. The first things we see him do for his brothers, he imprisons them first. He says, you guys are spies. You've come here to spy out the land. So he imprisons them. He goes, you threw me into a well. I'm going to throw you into a dungeon. Let's see how you handle that. I want to watch your character and see how do you handle imprisonment. And they were brought to a place where God just really burdened them about all of this is taking place because of what we did to our brother all those years ago. We deserve this. We're here because of our cruelty to our brother. And so Joseph sees this, and he lets all of his brothers go except for one. He says, I'm going to keep one here, send the rest of you back home. Go home and get your younger brother and bring him back. But I'm going to keep one in jail until you do. And so he does. He sends them away. But when they get a, a night's journey away, they stop for the night to feed their animals. When they open their sacks of grain that they had bought in Egypt, all of their silver that they had purchased the grain with was in their sacks and their pouches. And so now they're freaking out because it looks like they've stolen from Egypt instead of paying for their goods. So Joseph is testing them with this money idea and going, hey, you know what? Your hate and your greed is what landed me here. I'm going to see how you handle money being given to you. Are you going to be greedy with it or are you going to respond appropriately? Then there's the third test. He tells them, hey, I want you to bring your brother back 
while I keep this one in prison. Joseph wants to see how they treat this youngest son. Joseph had been highly esteemed, loved by their father more than all of the rest of them. And now that Joseph's gone, this new brother, this younger brother is there, Benjamin. And he holds the same place of honor that Joseph once held. And so Joseph's like, I want to see how you guys treat him. Are you the same with him that you were with me? I want to see how this is all going to play out. So I'm not going to help you anymore with grain until you bring your brother back here. And so Joseph's test for them is to see, will they do the right thing even when it's hard? It's a test of integrity. He's going, I want to find out if you are people of integrity or if you're still cruel and wicked. And so that's where we pick up our story today. The brothers have now gone home. They've told their dad, we can't go back and get Simeon out of jail and get more grain unless Benjamin comes with us. Jacob goes, no, Benjamin's not going anywhere. He's staying with me. He's the youngest. I've already lost one son. This one's staying with me. And so this is where we pick up in in chapter 43, Genesis 43. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to them, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we'll go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, you, must, uh, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. And so Israel, or Jacob, the father, he asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man that you had a brother? And they replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked. Do you have any, an, another brother? And we simply answered his questions. How are we to know what, that he would say, Bring your father down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we'll go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you for all of my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel turned to them, if it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bag and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. So take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let you, your other brother and Benjamin, come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, then I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and doubled the amount of silver, and they took Benjamin also. And they hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him, and he took the men to Joseph's house. Now, the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we're being brought here because of the silver that it was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. So they went up to Joseph's steward and they spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord, they said. We came down here the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver. It was the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we've brought it back with us. We've also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, the man said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. 
So the steward took the, man into the house, the, took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, and provided fodder for their donkeys. And they prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard he was there to eat with. And when Joseph came home, they presented to him the gifts they had brought into the house. And they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and, they said, he, uh, and they, then he said, How is your aged father that you told me about? Is he still living? And they replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well. And they bowed down, prostrating themselves before him. As he looked around and he saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into his private room and he wept there. And after he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself, he, served, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews, for that is detestable to the Egyptians. The men who had been seated before him in the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. And when portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted. And they drank freely with him. So Joseph's story and this brother's story as it continues, and I know there's a lot of text to kind of read through, but the story is so powerful because it sets up what's happening here at the end is that Joseph had asked his brothers to bring back their youngest brother, his full-blooded brother. And they do, they bring him back. But as they get into this place that they're coming back to Egypt, they recognize hey, for us to bring him here is going to cause our father back home who loves this son, it's going to cause him great distress. He's already lost one son. He's got another that's in prison. And now he's going to give up his youngest son that he loves so much. So how are we supposed to handle that? And I love what Judah does in this moment. Judah goes to his father in verses 8 through 10. He said, Judah said, send the boy along with me and we'll go at once so that you and our children and we may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I don't bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame all of my life. Now remember, Judah is the brother who orchestrated Joseph being sold into slavery in the first place. Not out of mercy to save his life, but out of greed. Then he was going, we can make something off of Joseph. Let's just sell him into slavery. We can benefit from this. And so Judah's the one that had brought up this plan. And now, all these years later, Judah's going to his father and saying, hey, listen, I'll take responsibility for the boy. Jacob doesn't know this. He doesn't know what happened to his son, his oldest son, Joseph. He doesn't know that this plan had been concocted. But all these years later, Judah's heart has softened. And he goes to his father and says, I'll take responsibility for him. Send him with me. I'll watch over him. I'll be in charge. And if anything happens to him, I'll pay the price. For the rest of my life, I'll pay the price. And so they go back to Egypt with their brother. They have silver that they're going to pay. And they, the steward of Joseph says, no, the silver, that's not... It's not ours. You guys must have just had a blessing from God. He blessed you with that. And so we've received payment for your last trip here. Don't worry about that. Don't stress out. In fact, he invites him to a meal at Joseph's house. But the brothers are so concerned. They're going, oh my gosh, this guy's going to take us there. He's going to overpower us. He's going to put us in slavery because he thinks we stole from him. And so all of these things are happening. All the emotions are happening. And then Joseph brings him into his house. And I love what it says in Genesis 43, verse 33. 
It said the men had been seated before him in order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest. And they looked at each other in astonishment. Now catch this. They look at this and go, okay, we just sat down at this table and wow, you're the oldest and you're number two and I'm number three. and you're, we're all, Guys, look at this. We're all sitting in order of our ages. How does this Egyptian know so much about us? How did he do this? And this causes them to freak out. Like they're astonished by this. And then they start to serve the meal. And it says when the portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and they drank freely with him. So this is the next test that Joseph is putting his brothers through. Going, I'm trying to figure out if I can trust you guys or not. So here's what we're going to do. The youngest brother is going to get five times the amount of everybody else. Now in this culture, that would have been the wrong way to do things. The oldest brothers should get the most. The youngest brothers should get the, the least. And so he's going, here, I'm going to test you guys by seeing what happens when I put the most five times as much. This is like going to a Brazilian steakhouse and just being like, yeah, keep on bringing the meat, buddy. I'm over here. Come on. I got the filet. I would take you know, some ribeye. That'd be awesome. Just You got fish, whatever. Bring it on and just keep putting it on my plate. This is what Joseph's doing. He's just heaping food, meat onto Benjamin's plate. And he's expecting that the brothers are going to see this and get jealous. And go, why is he getting the special treatment from this guy? He's the youngest. He shouldn't have done that. But the exact opposite occurs. As Joseph watches his brothers as the meat's put on Benjamin's plate, they don't do anything. It says that they just ate and drank freely. They enjoyed the meal. They hung out. And Joseph watches all this unfold. And he's seeing a change in these men's heart. He's going, they're, they're different with this one than they were with me. God's done something in them that he didn't do in me. These guys weren't perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but God was changing them. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning and want to write something down or follow along on our app, you can get the notes there. But here's the first life lesson that I would give you from this part of Joseph's story, is that we're all works in progress in the hands of a master builder. We're work in progress. And God is a master builder. He has our lives in his hand and he's guiding and protecting us and he's changing things in us to make us more like himself. And so what these guys, what Joseph realizes as he watches his brothers is God's been changing them over the years. They're not the same now as they were before. They're different. And for us as followers of Jesus, I love something that Paul said in, first, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. He said, I'm confident in this, that the one who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. The one who started a work in you, if you're a follower of Christ, from the moment that you accepted Jesus into your life, God started working in you to change you, to make you more like Jesus. And it's a lifelong process. And Paul wrote and said, the one who began the work will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. So here's what that means. You're never going to be finished in this life. If you don't like where you are right now, if you think you should be further down the road and you're kind of discouraged in some things in your life and going, man, I would have thought by the time I hit 40, I would be so much different. Man, by the time I hit 60, that life would just be so much different. And I'm still just a work in progress. That's the truth. You are. You're a work in progress. And God will complete that work either when one of two things happens. Number one, you die. Or number two, Jesus comes back. Paul says that he will be faithful to complete the work he started in you until the day of Christ. 
So until you either see Jesus face to face when you die or when he returns to take us home to heaven, that's when God will say, now the work is done. I've completed it all. But until then, we are a work in progress. Our lives as followers of Christ are under construction. This is what it means for us to be disciples of Jesus, by the way. And we talk about this all the time here at Grace Fellowship, that our definition of being a disciple of Jesus says that we're, on, uh, that we're followers of Jesus, that we're being changed by Jesus, and that we're on mission with Jesus. And this idea of being changed by him is part of the result of the life in Christ. See, this is the work that the Holy Spirit does in us. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in our lives, he starts to change us. The theological term for that is sanctify us. He's working to sanctify you. And that just is a fancy word that means he's making you more like Jesus. The Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in our life to change us internally and to make us more like Christ. He starts to convict us of sin. He starts to draw us to God's word. He starts to cause us to want to pray more. He causes us to want to share our faith with others. He changes us. And so Joseph is watching this change happen in his brothers. And as we look back at the story, Joseph's got one more test. Now he's going to say, okay, the banquet's over. You guys can go home. Here's more grain. Go take this to your family. But what he doesn't tell his brothers is this. He had told one of his servants to take a silver goblet from his table and put it in Benjamin's bag so that it would look like Benjamin stole from him. He sends the brothers on his way home. They get outside of Egypt and he tells his servants, all right, go chase them down and go tell them that I want my cup back, that they stole it from me. And so they do. They ride out after the brothers. They catch up to them outside of the city. They go, hey, you guys stole from our master. He just gave this banquet for you and you stole from him. And they're all caught off guard by this and going, no, we, that's not what happened. We didn't do that. Why would we do that? We thought we stole last time. We brought extra back this time to make sure you knew we are not thieves. We are not doing anything to try to harm this man. We want his blessing and his approval. He gives us food, which is why your kids still give you blessings and approval, moms, because you feed them. And so... That's just part of the reality, right? And they go, this guy is beneficial to us. Why would we steal from him? And they go, no, no, no. Here's what we're going to find out. We're going to go through your sacks and we're going to find who's got the cup. Somebody stole. They're like, okay, well, that, here's the deal then. If we stole, we'll, we'll become your servants because we didn't do this. So they start again at the top. Oldest brother, look in his bag, nothing there. Next brother, nothing there. Next brother, nothing there. And they keep going down the line. And don't you just know the brothers are sweating it out more and more as it gets closer to Benjamin? It's like if Benjamin gets caught... And we have to go home to dad and tell him that another brother has been taken. What are we going to do? And they go down the line, and sure enough, when the servant opens Benjamin's bag, there's the silver cup. And so they immediately are taken back to Joseph in Egypt. And we kind of pick up the story again. Genesis chapter 44, starting verse 14. It says, Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in and they threw themselves to the ground before him. And Joseph said to them, what is this you've done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination? What can we say, my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now, my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, no, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you can go back to your father in peace. And then I'm not going to read this next part, but Judah basically stands up to Joseph and says, look, you can't do that. You can't send us back to our father. He'll die if we come back and the youngest brother's not there. I tell you what, why don't you do this? Why don't you let him go? I'll stay in his place. I'll step in. 
he's not guilty. You think he's guilty, but I'll take the burden. I'll take his place. And so he, he says, we can't do this to our father. Judah steps up in his defense. And what I love about this is that he wants the boy to go home. He's willing to take his place and become a servant instead. Now, in this story that we've been studying for the last five weeks, Joseph is the savior figure. But in this moment, Judah becomes a foreshadowing of the savior of the world, Jesus. See, in the ultimate story, as we look toward the New Testament, Jesus is the savior of the world. He's the one who comes to this earth to take our place. And in this moment, Judah steps up in front and says, I'll take the burden. You let him go free and I'll stay in prison. And this is that foreshadowing of Jesus because Jesus is going to come and say to the Father, don't count their sins against them. Don't count Joel's sin against him. I'll take his place. That's the whole reason Jesus went to the cross, that he gave up his life and died on the cross so that we wouldn't have to. And so Judah in this moment says, I'll take his place. Now, here's the next beautiful part of this story as things unfold. And God is so good from beginning to end in Scripture to weave the same beautiful story. When Jesus comes, he doesn't just show up. He comes through a family line. He comes through Judah's family line. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah, in this Old Testament passage from thousands of years before, he steps up and says, I'll take the place of one who needs to go free. When Jesus comes onto the scene through the line of Judah, he says, I'll take the punishment that all of them deserve so that they can go free. God, you don't have to punish them. You can punish me. He comes through Judah's lineage. Judah is foreshadowing in this moment what Jesus would do. So when Joseph sees and hears how his brothers respond, he's done with the testing. He's okay. All the tests are out the window. Listen to how he responds. Genesis chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said, catch this verse three, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Now, how do you think that went over? Uh, really? No, that couldn't be. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm Joseph. You guys remember me? Oh, yeah, we remember you. We have nightmares all the time because of you. We remember. He goes, hey, I'm Joseph. And then he just asks, is my father still alive? Have you guys been telling me the truth? Is he still there? Is dad still alive? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I'm your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been famine in the land and for the next five there will be no plowing and no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by his great deliverance. Listen, here's our next life lesson. You never know what God is doing behind the scenes to bring him glory and to work things out for our good when we walk in faithful obedience to him. You never know what God's doing behind the scenes. 
Joseph couldn't have imagined what it would have been like all those years ago, 20 years ago when he was thrown into a well and sold into slavery. He could never have imagined what God was going to do. And you never know. You never know what God's doing behind the scenes in your life when tragedy hits, when difficulty occurs, when something great goes on in your life. You never know in those moments what God's doing behind the scenes for His glory and for our ultimate good as we walk in faithful obedience to Him. And how could Joseph forgive his brothers after all they had done to him? How could Joseph stand in front of them and go, guys, it's okay. It's okay. Here's how. Because Joseph had gained a perspective on life and a worldview that recognized the sovereignty and the providence of God over everything. And so when Joseph stands in front of him, he goes, you guys, you didn't know what you were doing. I didn't know what you were doing, but God did. God orchestrated this. In fact, he doesn't even blame them. He's able to forgive them at this point because he goes, this wasn't your fault. You just acted out what God intended to have happen. This isn't your fault. Look at what he says in verse, verse 8, Genesis 45, 8. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of the entire household and the ruler of all of Egypt. This was God's plan. It wasn't the brother's plan. It wasn't Joseph's plan. It was God's plan. God knows what we don't. What we don't see in our future perfectly, God does. He sees it all. So when you get that bad diagnosis, when you have that tragedy that happens, when you lose a job, when your kids rebel, whatever it is in your life and you can't see beyond the moment, you can know and trust that God's at work behind the scenes to work things out for His glory and for our ultimate good. Now, I say ultimate good because I want you to understand this. Our ultimate good happens when we're with Jesus for eternity in heaven. God doesn't promise us that our ultimate good will happen on this earth. Maybe your kids won't turn back. Maybe you won't be healed. Maybe you won't get a better job after you're fired from this one. God doesn't promise us that great things are going to happen to us in this life, but he says, my glory will be accomplished and your ultimate good will be realized. So we trust Jesus as he works behind the scenes. When we forgive, when we can take these opportunities, take the worst intentions of people and turn them into incredible opportunities for us, one of the big things that we have to do is we have to see what Jesus did for us as being more important than what other people do to us. Father, what Jesus has done for you by giving his life on the cross, by taking your place, by offering you forgiveness of your sins, by redeeming you into his family, that's far more important than what someone does to you in this life. And so Joseph has recognized this. He sees all of this. And through all of the trials of Joseph's life, God was preparing him to lead a nation and to save the masses. So here's the beautiful part of the story. Now this family reunion gets to happen. Joseph says, guys, if my father's alive, I want him here with me. In fact, go back to Canaan. Bring everybody. Bring the whole family. I'm going to give you land here in Egypt. I'm going to give you the best of Egypt to live in. Just bring the whole family. We're going to be together. It's going to be a family reunion like there's never been before. Fried chicken for everybody. <laughs> right? We're going to have fun and party. And so he goes, it's going to be great. Bring everybody here. And then Joseph gets to be reunited with his dad. He gets to be reunited with his brothers, their wives, their kids. And for 17 years, he gets to live with his brother again. God gave him an extended period of time 
with His Father. And so as we see all of these things continue to unfold, there then comes one more difficult thing that, that they experience. Because Israel dies. And as he dies, the brothers have a reality check. What if Joseph has only been kind to us over these last 17 years because of our father? And now that he's gone, what if Joseph's going to extract his revenge now? He's been holding back to honor dad, but now that dad's gone, is Joseph going to take his, his vengeance? And so they come to him and they start going, hey, we'll serve you, we'll honor you, we'll be your servants, whatever it is that you want, we'll do. And he goes, whoa, 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 guys, hold on. You're forgetting something. You think I'm going to punish you for what happened to me all those years ago, but you're forgetting something. You still don't have my worldview. You didn't do this to me. God sent me here. This was his plan. He needed to save all of this area from this famine. And to do that, he sent me here. You didn't do this. God did. So in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and for your children. And he reassured them and he spoke kindly to them. Now, there's something going on in this moment that I think happens with us a lot. In this moment, when their father has died, their brothers come and go, okay, everything that's been kind of the dam holding back your vengeance has now been released. Are you going to punish us? And Joseph goes, no. No, this was all God's intention all along. And I think we live like that sometimes in our relationship with God. That, man, we're great and everything's good with God and we're, we love that relationship as long as we're being obedient to Him and walking in faithfulness to Him. But then one moment when we sin, when we stumble into something we shouldn't have, when we do something that dishonors God, all of a sudden we go, oh my gosh, God's probably going to hate me now. God's going to extract His vengeance on me now. God's going to get me back for what I just did to Him. And all that time, God's going, no, that's not how this works. When you stumble, when you sin, when you fall away from me, I don't start getting the lightning bolts ready to throw from heaven at you. In fact, I'm going to move towards you with love to bring you back. Because my grace is always for you. God's good like that. He's good all the time. And so for us, if I could issue just a closing challenge to us this morning, I want you to look at the events of your life. Look at the things you're bitter over, the things you blame God for, the people that have hurt you and done harm to you, and just ask, and how has God, how has God orchestrated those things to change things in my life? What's God doing? Not to harm me, but for my good. And as I experience the things of God in this moment of life, when things are happening that's wrong, that's difficult, that's hard, and what is God doing behind the scenes that I can't notice and pay attention to right now, but He's preparing me for something in my future? Here's something that you can bank on. God is good in every situation. In every situation. In everything in life, God is good. He's so, so good. You can trust Him. You don't have to fear Him. You don't have to worry. You can just know, man, God, God is good. 
In fact, it reminds me of a song that we used to sing when I was younger, and maybe you did too, if you grew up around church, and something that you sang out. It's just a refrain that I want to get you to sing with me today. Just a reminder something in our life to say, man, we just want to repeat and echo out this statement that God, of all the things that are happening in our life, you are good. So if you know this, just sing this out with me. If you don't, it's so easy to pick up on. Just sing this out. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. God, you're so good. You're so good to me. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.